In the name of Jesus Christ, the great physician who heals all wounds, my dear friends. We've all grown up listening to fairy tales about princes finding their princesses and princesses finding their prince. From Cinderella to Snow White to the Little Mermaid, the ending is always the same. And they lived happily ever after. Isn't that the expectation everyone has entering marriage? The future is going to be a delightful bed of roses where every aspect of life is pleasant and rewarding. But fairy tales are fiction and not reality. The reality is love often grows cold. Affection gives way to affliction. Taking advantage edges out giving advantage. Sickness and injury turn dreams into nightmares. Marriage rarely unfolds the way we picture it going in. For the last three weeks, our sermons have been focusing on relationship scars. Life is painful in so many ways. So how are we to emotionally process and spiritually understand the pain, heartache, and dashed dreams in our lives? Should we pity ourselves? Should we be bitter toward those who neglect and hurt us, or even angry at God for permitting pain and disappointment into our lives? Well, let's begin by addressing the validity of self-pity and bitterness. Self-pity and bitterness are rooted in the belief we deserve better than we are getting in life. Poor me, I didn't get the promotion I thought I was best qualified to receive. After all I've sacrificed for my spouse and children, I'm worthy of a better lot in life and better treatment from them. How valid is such thinking? Let's take a good scriptural look at what we are owed by God and others. Let's start with Psalm 5, verse 4. For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. And so, brothers and sisters, God doesn't just hate sin. He hates the doers of sin. So is there any sin in your life? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That's what the Apostle John writes in his first epistle. So if you and I are sinners, and we are, if God hates sinners, and he does, then what have we earned from God? Hate. Only hate. I deserve to be hated, not loved. You deserve to be hated, not loved. And so whatever disappointments or abuse or pain God has allowed into my life, it is just a small taste of the hell I deserve. So no matter how painful the events in my life have been, there is no justification for self-pity. Self-pity is the devil's deception. It's a lie. It's heresy. God does not owe it to me to love me. My mother, my wife, my children, my brothers and sisters, and you don't owe it to me to love me because I'm a sinner. You are a sinner and no one owes it to you to love you either. That's the hard, unveiled truth that leaves no room for self-pity or bitterness toward God or anyone else in life. We simply and honestly don't deserve to be loved. Let that truth soak in. We don't deserve to be loved. And yet, we are. 
We are loved in the most wonderful of ways. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's hate that should rightly inflict everlasting pain of the worst kind on you and me was aimed at his son and it crushed him. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus deserved to be loved and yet took our pain without any self-pity. God didn't and doesn't owe it to us to love us, and yet he has. And that is what makes grace so amazing. Let that truth soak in. No matter how much misery or humiliation there is in my past, it's nothing compared to what I've earned. In fact, it's only better than I have coming. And as the psalmist David wrote, He does not treat us as our sins deserve. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I have earned eternal death, and yet God has given me eternal life. That is absolutely astounding and wonderful. This truth doesn't leave any room for bitterness or self-pity, does it? It only leaves room for thanksgiving and praise. So even in the most painful of times in our lives, we can truthfully say, this is better than I deserve. This undeserved love from God transforms how we process the abuse and neglect we have received from others. I don't owe it to my wife to love her. I don't owe it to my children to love them. I don't owe it to you to love you. I owe it to God to love you because he first loved me without my deserving it. I owe it to God to love you because Jesus shed the same blood for you that he shed for me. And I honor Jesus by loving you no matter what you may have done to me in the past. And it's this understanding that separates Christian love from all other kinds of love. Christian love is unconditional. This is the kind of love God wants us to exercise in marriage. When a husband loves his wife because he is loved by God, he will love her even if she constantly nags and disrespects him. Because she owes it to God to do so, a wife will honor and support her husband no matter how selfish he may be. Peter leads up to the verses of our lesson with this statement. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his stripes you are healed. So wives, this is how you can show you have died to sin and live for Christ. Peter writes in chapter 3, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. When a wife willingly follows her man's lead and helps him make his decision succeed and responds to his disrespect with respect, she gives him a living glimpse of the love of Christ. Such love is powerful, so powerful in fact that it can win over an unbelieving spouse. That's why Peter goes on to write, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles or the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which, of, which is of great worth in God's sight. To put it another way, don't seek to turn heads with your outward appearance, 
seek to turn heads with attitudes and deeds that are beautiful in the eyes of God. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Abraham was a man of great faith, but even he had his shameful moments. Twice he introduced Sarah as his sister and hid the fact she was his wife. He did so because there were powerful kings in whose area he was living, and Sarah was beautiful, and he was afraid that they would kill him in order to take her as his wife, and he failed to trust God's promise to protect him. And so, thinking she was available for marriage, two different kings attempted to take her as one of their wives. On both occasions, Abraham created a mess, and he involved Sarah in it. Ultimately, God intervened and kept the marriages from happening. And so, ladies, every husband has his Abraham moments when he makes foolish, selfish, and faithless decisions. And so, like God, or like Sarah, know God is your ultimate protector, and he is able to make good out of his bad just as he did for Sarah. Trust God and don't give way to fear. And wives, also know your husbands bear a tremendous responsibility before God. God has given them headship. He will hold them accountable for everything that does or does not happen in your home. After the fall into sin, whom did God confront first? It wasn't Eve. It was Adam. Such responsibility and accountability can be frightening and even overwhelming. Build up your man and encourage him for the task. Point him to the love of Christ and the will of Christ. Uphold him in your prayer so he might honor Jesus as well as be a blessing to you and your children. You owe it to your Savior Jesus to love your husband in this way. Well, guys, now it's our turn. To us, Peter writes, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. The first point the Holy Spirit makes to us is this. Be considerate. Man, we tend to have tunnel vision. We have the ability to focus on one thing to the extent that we tune out everything else in our lives. And so God is saying, don't tune out your wife. Keep her in mind. Think about how your words and actions will impact her. And as Christ gave himself up for the church, be willing to sacrifice everything you are and have for her benefit. She gets the new coat before you get the new set of golf clubs. She gets to put her feet up while you chase after the kids. Remember, we don't deserve preferential treatment from anyone, not even ourselves. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner, Peter also writes. Literally, that means the weaker vessel. Now, in my house, I have a five-gallon container that gets used for carrying sand, for watering shrubs, and even caching motor oil. We also have another container in our house for flowers, a vase. It has pretty colors and nice slender curves. One is more delicate than the other. Guys, our wives aren't built like us physically or wired like us emotionally. We are the buckets, they are the vases. On average, women require more sleep than men. They can't carry the same physical load we were built for. 
And when I meet a male high school classmate at a class reunion who has gained some weight, I can kid him saying, what are you up to these days, 240 pounds? You can't say that to your wife. She's not one of the guys. Remember these things. Be considerate. Also treat them with respect as heirs of the gracious gift of life. You see, the same blood Jesus poured out for me was poured out for my wife and your wives. Men, we honor Jesus' sacrifice for them by sacrificing for them ourselves. And here's another way to look at it. I have a daughter who is married. I love her dearly. If I heard her husband was abusing her, I would take it personally. Our wives are daughters of the Most High God. If we neglect or abuse them, he takes it personally. If we are impenitent about our abuse, he will deny our prayers because we have denied him. That's just how serious God is about this. So wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love and respect your wives. Easy to say, but difficult. More than that, impossible for us to do perfectly. With the Apostle Paul, we lament. What I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. What a wretched man I am. Because we struggle with the sin in us all day, every day, and we often lose that struggle, we hurt each other, sometimes deeply. Even in marriage, the most intimate of human relationships. I have my physical and emotional scars that were inflicted on me by others. And sadly, I have to admit, I've inflicted scars on others too. So what are we to do? Can we live with each other? How can we cope with our sinful spouses, with an abusive parent or sibling or classmate? Well, after his resurrection from the grave, Jesus appeared to his disciples bearing scars. Those scars are from carrying all our sin. And there in the upper room, he showed his hands and his feet and his side to his disciples. And according to Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, John saw Jesus before the throne of God as a lamb looking as if he had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. This tells us that in heaven, Jesus still bears his scars, and he will bear them for all eternity. But he will not display them in bitterness and self-pity. He will not say, see what you did to me. Rather, he will say, See how much I love you. This view of Jesus' scars changes how we view our scars. His scars empower us to put aside all self-pity and bitterness so that we can say, As much and as deeply as you have hurt me, that's how much and how deeply I forgive you. Where this kind of love and forgiveness exist in any relationship, and especially in the relationship of marriage, we can experience a fairy tale ending. In Christ and in His love, we can live happily ever after. Amen.